With another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 447, a.k.a. Year 9, Week 23, coming at you this week. As always, I'm your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich, and uh, podcast only this week, no live clubhouse broadcast, but you can find us there. Uh, the club is the Anarchist Experience, or you can at me at Riches for Rich, R-I-C-H-E-S, the number four, R-I-C-H. And when we're back to live productions, I will click on the little button and invite you into the club. Uh, but MC is on his honeymoon and visiting, I guess, Asia, Southeast Asia, Japan, Thailand. I forget what else ever. Um, but he's going to be gone for a few weeks. So for the next several weeks, this week included, you're going to get the rousing editions of Richie Rich Reads the News. And because of the uh, abundance of news on the multiple wars that are going on we're going to try to avoid those and try to do some of the more educational things i guess as best i can that take a little bit longer more mindful of things going on um and the like the longer articles that are just too fucking long to read uh when we're trying to have a discussion and since i'm lazy uh and i just want to read long articles uh that's what you get for the next several weeks that being said, let's get into it. Richie Rich reads the news headline uh, countering the woke offensive uh, from the Mises.org. Did someone recently flip a switch? It seems as though wokeism, the Great Reset, ESG, DEI, and an assortment of other radical left-wing positions have just taken over. It is in the movies, media, sports, finance, retail businesses, and even in the beer industry. Yet it is not a uniquely American phenomenon. Wokeism is part of the international zeitgeist. For example, this past June, I inadvertently inex- uh, experienced a huge pride parade reported as having tens of thousands of participants in Roklaw, Poland. Yet, although the woke agenda seems to be dominating everything, the mask is slowly being peeled away, and some are starting to recognize the truly authoritarian agenda that has been so carefully hidden. Wokeism exploded into our lives because it took advantage of two traits of human nature which readily manifest in capitalism. These flaws are our tendency to avoid work, and our basic inclination to trust and rely on others. If a person can avoid work, he will. People are not necessarily lazy, but when costs can be avoided, they are. People act on these cost-benefit calculations. Additionally, people are generally trusting. We tend to trust the label of what we are buying. When one goes to the gas station, how do we know that the machine dispensed 10 gallons of gas into our car? When we buy a bottle of 500 caplets, do we immediately count them or do we trust? Capitalism depends upon a tremendous amount of trust. 
Each transaction has a certain level of trust built into it. Wokeism exploits these two traits to our detriment. For example, wokeism takes advantage of human nature when it comes to deciding who should sit on the board of directors of a large for-profit company. Suppose that for this company, the board of directors is determined by a simple majority of vote by the shareholders. For each share that I own, I get one vote. The likelihood that my couple of votes are going to tip the scales one way or another is remote, and so I have a strong disincentive to actively participate in this election. In economic terms, the cost of the work of researching the candidates and making myself fully informed tends to outweigh the benefit of voting. Instead, I simply trust that the people running the company want to maximize the company's profits. In other words, I believe that there are bigger investors and fund managers who want to make as much of a return from their investment as I do. Thus, I trust these bigger investors' greed aligns with my interests. The result is that I am not fully informed about who the candidates are, and I do not vote my relatively few shares. When I do not vote, I open the door for woke fund managers to put people on the board of directors who are focused on social agendas, environmental sustainability, or social justice goals, and are not focused on maximizing profits. Today, wokeism has intimidated and cowed the profit-focused businessman through their portrayal in movies, news media, social media, and basically all other fronts, the businessman is castigated as cruel, self-centered, and just plain greedy. In contrast, it is the more enlightened decision-maker who is lauded and celebrated as the hero. The motivation of the new woke CEOs, whether they are true believers or simply avoiding a hassle, is not really the point. What matters is that they promote the worldview that a close cooperation between public institutions, government, and private companies is best. Government employees, C-suite executives, activists, and sports and media uh, celebrities all encourage and reinforce the push to integrate and cement the public-private partnership. The integration of corporations and the state goes by many names. Some call it state socialism or progressivism. Others call it national socialism or socialism with a human face. Once upon a time, it was called fascism. Regardless of the name, it is a top-down authoritarian approach to managing the economy. It allows the elite to manipulate the market away from the choices made by consumers and in the direction that they want by picking winners and losers, all the while doing so in the name of social justice, equity, or saving the planet. The fact that Tesla Inc., the electric car company, has a lower environmental, social, and governmental uh, ESG score than the tobacco and oil companies shows what a scam woke investing really is. When businesses seek profit, they are following the subjective valuations of consumers and society. Creating non-woke alternative businesses replicates the problem of, of not following profits, albeit in the opposite direction. It is simply not a solution. However, in my, uh, the author's, 2022 Rothbard Memorial Lecture, I presented several suggestions about how to fight back. One possibility, which has not occurred to me at that time, is the Mises meetup groups, which have been showing success. In spring 2022, our loose affiliation called the Carolina Mises Meetup was formed. The organizers felt cut off, isolated, and alone, and noted a strong need to connect with others who can give support and encouragement. We're hoping to connect with about 25 like-minded people. We were wrong, very wrong as the result far exceeded our expectations 
as they approach their sixth meeting, uh, they have had an average attendance of 70 to 80 people and a members list that exceeds 240. These meetup groups are informal gatherings of like-minded people. They are entrepreneurs who are interested in Austrian economics and in helping other entrepreneurs. Perhaps the most important function of these groups is to demonstrate that we are not alone and there are other people willing to help. Groups allow us to utilize the division of labor and get more accomplished. Communities can accomplish many things when the individuals use their talents and energies towards a common goal. One recommendation that I think has strong potential is to create certificates, contests, and awards. I've sat through many town councils and other local meetings. I observed that every local municipality is hungry for recognition. I think there's an opportunity here. Why not set up an award and apply the goals that we would like to see, such as opening markets, reducing bureaucracy, and so forth? The Mises Meetup Group might be the perfect network to find people who are skilled in creating contest rules and connecting with others who could sit on a panel of judges. The awards and certificates do not have to be elaborate. They are fancy pieces of paper in nice frames. However, municipalities covet the attention awards bring. Imagine the influence such an award and recognition could achieve. Additionally, these activities allow us to reach outside of our own ecosystem. We can bring in other groups, business owners that may share many of our same values but are unaware that we exist. The economist in me thinks that these awards are relatively low cost and can pay large dividends. The benefits outweigh the cost. Another potential solution begins with recognition that uh, too often we doubt ourselves. I have heard, what can I do? Uh, I am too small to make a difference. Platitudes like, even the longest journey begins with a single step seems cliche, but there is a kernel of truth to them. If we want a free and prosperous society, we need to act. We need to start now. There is no central plan for liberty. However, if we share a common goal, we can pull together in the same direction. Each person is unique, having his own distinct set of talents and abilities. I would like to see each person become a light of liberty. A light of liberty is someone who can competently discuss the questions of liberty, which means that each of us needs to read, study, and learn. The more we learn, the brighter our light becomes. Over time, people tend to recognize and seek out people with wisdom and knowledge. As we become more knowledgeable in Austrian economics, we cannot keep this knowledge to ourselves. We need to discuss these ideas with others. There is no best way to present the ideas of freedom. When I present these ideas, I only connect with a fraction of the audience. Then if my wife, a colleague, or a student talks to the same group, then these ideas are presented differently, which reaches those I could not. Perhaps the most important facet to fighting against wokeness is having courage. Each person needs to muster the courage to stand firm and resist the intrusion of wokeness into our lives and our place of business. It is one thing not to buy a product because it backs woke causes, but without informing the seller why you're not buying from them, nothing will change. We need to have the courage to tell the seller why we made our choice. Knowing that woke policies are wrong, having the wisdom to pick our battles, and having a strong support base of like-minded people helps us find the courage to resist diversity, equity, and inclusion, and ESG policies, DEI and ESG policies. Shortly after escaping from Nazis, the Ludwig von Mises wrote, Occasionally I entertain hope that the writings would bear practical fruit and show the way for policy. Constantly I have been looking for evidence of a change in ideology, but I have come to realize that my theories explain the degeneration of a great civilization. They do not prevent it. I set out to be a reformer, but only became the historian of decline. If Mises gave up after writing his memoir in 1940, we would have never seen human action, bureaucracy, planning for freedom, 
or many other of his important writings. He would not have been there to tutor Mary Rothbard, Israel Kirzner, and many others to keep Austrian economics alive through the Keynesian 60s. We simply cannot know the long-run impact that our actions today will have on people decades from now. However, if we do nothing, then it is certain that there will be nothing to show for it. The popularity of wokeness, DEI, and ESG policies will wane, and we need to fill the zeitgeist with the vision of how a free and prosperous society can truly work. With more people becoming lights of liberty, we can influence the direction of society for the better. Recently, I was accused of being an optimist. I am. I think there's time to change the direction of society towards free markets. I plan on brightening my light and the lights of liberty with my students and those around me. Will you join me? Uh, End of the article. I guess this is where I get to be a little pessimistic on these things. Like, I like the idea of getting together with like-minded individuals and educating oneself you know like i've i've read i haven't read it all obviously but i read a bunch of the the literature the mises the rothbard etc uh slog through uh principles of economics by carl menger years ago like when i first started I, well if he's the first that's the first one thing i'm gonna read and then like worked my way through some of the other material from there uh, interspersed with a bunch of other things. So I, by the definitions of the article, I, I think I consider myself a pretty decent light of liberty. Uh, been doing this podcast for over nine years. Uh, been on the radio um, fairly regularly for, man, over, over nearly, nearly five years. Um, sharing these ideas in the best way that I know how. Um, uh, but I, I lose the optimism on the ability to like change the masses, right? Like one of the biggest arguments that I get into is, um, we must change people's minds so that we may also be free. And I don't want to do that anymore, right? Like my freedom should not be contingent upon their ability to grasp the ideas of freedom and align themselves with me. Right, like if they don't want to be free, uh, then then they shouldn't have to be free. I don't care, right? If if you want to stay on the plantation, right, then then have at it. You know, get get fed, you know, get a bed to sleep in, and then work your ass off for the master all day. Like I don't, you know, the, the modern form is taxes, right? Like I don't, I don't want that. I want I want to be removed from that relationship. Um, and I don't, I don't need to take you with me if you don't want to come, right? Like we don't, we don't all need to escape, right? Just, I'm fine if it's just me. Um, but it's, you know, it's definitely easier to live outside the, you know, outside the fences of slavery and a world of freedom when you have others surrounding you. And that's always been like the collective defense, right? Like if it's just me, I will get caught or killed and that will be the end of it. Um, and you know, I also, I live in a state where the motto is, uh, live free or die, right? You know, the the second part of that is death is not the worst of evils, right? So I, that, that should be an acceptable outcome. Um, but it's not for many people, uh, generally present company included, right? Like I, I submit, you know, mostly because it's not the appropriate time to fight. Um, but you know, they, they, 
the, this, the ideas of freedom, the ideas of liberty, like going back, going back to Mises, right? Like in the 1940s, we're like 80 years removed from when this was a thing, you know, from when Mises started with his memoirs and, you know, human action, bureaucracy, planning for freedom and, and so on beyond that, right? The, the, the Austrian economics through the Keynesian revolution in the sixties, right? We're 60 years removed from that. Uh, and like the general public doesn't know the difference and the mainstream media, like the news outlets for the general public are not on our side. Right. And so it's, it's always an uphill battle. And generally, I'm, again, I'm speaking a lot in generalities here. Generally, we're not going to win over the hearts and minds of the masses and bring them on board. Right. It's, it's too difficult. Um, and it's, it's not, I'm not saying it's too difficult to convince them. I mean, it is, but freedom itself is too difficult for the average human being to like grasp and want, right? Like with great freedom comes great responsibility. And most people do not want that level of responsibility in their lives. So they're not going to, right? You know, we also like, you know, uh, you can have freedom or you can have safety, but you can't have both, right? And, and the vast majority of people choose safety, right? That's what I, I just want to be safe. I want to be alive. I don't want to have to think about certain things. Uh, and so they don't want it. So they lean heavily on the government, you know, to, to, you know, pillage, plunder, rob, and steal on their behalf to keep them safe, right? They're willing, you know, they're, they're willing to pay the tax man, uh, to leave them alone, right? And I've even I've even heard that pitched as an idea, right? Amongst uh, amongst you know libertarian ish thinkers, right? No, no, no. You just you know you just you pay them off a little bit, and then they leave you alone. Well, no, they don't leave you alone. That's the point. You pay them off a little bit, and now they know where to get paid. It's a perverse incentive, right? They have they have to be hurt. They have to be harmed. They have to feel the sting of you know fucking with you it's like fuck around find out is should be more than a hashtag and again for the the people around here that promote that hashtag you know fafo fuck around find out right the 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 find out is vote harder right there's no finding out they know they will fuck around with impunity and they will never find out because the find out side of that coin uh, is and always will be violence. And one of the things I love about doing these solo shows is like I don't get pushback for mentioning it or bringing that up or people saying like they want peace. Well, you can't have it without the violence. Right? Like the, the old, the modern, you know, the classical American thinkers, right, knew this. The, the price of liberty, right, is eternal vigilance. You always have to be on guard. You don't, you don't get to take a day off. You don't get, you know, a day off maybe, but you don't, you don't get to take time off from defending the liberties and freedoms. You have to be on guard. You have to protect those liberties uh, at all times, ad infinitum. Like for you have to pass that shit down to the next generation so they don't let it go. And generations from the founding of the United States Right, we have surely let it go. Right after the founding, they let it go, and it's been all downhill from there. Um, 
so to get it back, it's going to take you. You're not going to vote your way out, right? You, it's you know you, you might vote your way into a little bit, uh, but even the sheer act of voting is a permission slip, right? It's it's begging it's begging those in charge, begging the masters uh, to change their ways because you ask nicely, right? It's it still puts them in charge. They can still do what they want. We need to be we need to remove ourselves from that situation somehow uh, so that they don't have that control and the the only you know the 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 only way that i know to do that and i've i've heard all the peaceful suggestions right but the the, the only way that i know to do that is to uh defend so voraciously that they don't attack anymore and the best example that i've always given for this is like the Mexican drug cartels, right? For for as bad as they are, they they know the system, right? There's a new sheriff in town, and then they kill the sheriff, and then they kill the sheriff's family. And they go like, this is what happens when you mess with cartel, you know? And then the new sheriff gets elected, and I'm going to stop the crime wave in, over here, right? And then they, they kill the sheriff, and they kill it. And pretty soon, nobody wants the job, Right? And it's, it's always been my position that that's the level of fear uh, that the government needs to have of the people, right? It's, it shouldn't be frowned upon uh, when a politician kicks the bucket, no matter how they do it, right? That's, that's, that's like the fucking American way, right? Like they step out of line, they uh, purport to rule over you, and you say no. And if they continue to persist, right, and say that, no, 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 we rule over you, uh, then you make it known that no, they don't. And you make it known in such a way, right, that, that nobody else wants to. Uh, I used to get in online arguments with the commies on Facebook, goddamn anarcho-communists. Right? They're like, well, if you have a house, we'll just come and take it from you. And like, you can try Right, and the, what I what I am going to do is build a fence around my house with all the skeletons of those that have tried to take it from me. Right, I'm I'm going down fighting. Right, you come and try to take it. Like you're being on you're you're on a post out front, and that's like the reminder for the next guy who tries to come and take it. Right, like you come and try, and we're gonna fight. And if you win, fine, you know, that's, that's the live free or die part. Um, but I'm not going down without a fight. And if I can amass enough skeletons of dead communists who tried to steal my house from me, then the hope uh, is that the next communist who tries to steal my house from me uh, thinks better of it, right? On a, on a smaller scale, I don't know how true this is, but it's true in my mind. Uh, I always bring this up with the, you know, the license plate issue. So I, I live in New Hampshire. Uh, I'm one of those people around here that have the Montana plates on my vehicle uh, for the permanent registration in Montana. So I, I paid my fealty to a state far, far away uh, so that the current oppressor will leave me alone. And in my mind, I go like, well, there's enough of us doing that, right? Where the stadies, the, the, the troopers, the local police, right? They, they don't, they see the plate and unless there's some egregious violation right they they leave us alone cuz they know that we push back we know that we take it to trial 
We know that they're not going to get their money's worth or money at all, right? We, we, we're like, we're a monkey wrench in the system, in my belief, right? I like, this is what I think. Um, and again, I don't, I don't go out and egregiously violate traffic laws or anything like that and, and call attention to myself. Um, but I believe that in doing so, they leave, you know, they leave us alone. Um, on, on to, to a smaller extent, back in Hawaii, when I was doing this solo, Right, not not this exact thing, but you know, just being a monkey wrench in the system solo, uh, sitting across from a prosecutor while at trial for I don't even remember anymore. Uh, prosecutor came up and said, like, we know you're an anarchist, we know you don't pay your fines, we want to cut a deal. Right, like they knew me somewhere in their office, like they knew me, little old me, doing it on my own in a state that doesn't matter. Um, at the time, I was considering like a practice attempt. For when I got here, but they knew of me, and my my general feeling is that those same individuals know of us here, right? They see the place, they go like, "Fuck it, not worth it." Let's you know, low hanging. We'll go after the low hanging fruit. Uh, we don't want the fruit that pushes back. Um, and at some point, right? It's not this. It's not the fruit that pushes back. It's the ones that fight back, right? They they come to steal from us. Uh, and they leave not being able to steal from anybody else on an individual level, right? And if you can get those people together, uh, you have a better chance at doing that. But but meeting up with people, you know, talking about the ideas of freedom and liberty, passing that message along to others, you know, I get in I get into debates, discussions, whatever, uh, with my boss, you know, frequently, and he's he's elderly. Um, and he's got like his worldview and his religious view, like locked in. There's no changing his mind. Um, but he tries to pull the same, like, well, I you go do some homework that I've mentioned here uh, in the past, right? Like you, you're telling me something that's contrary to everything I've learned so far. I need to see proof. And then like five minutes of googling later, like here's here it is, man. It's like right in fucking front of you if you just go out and look for it. Right. But they don't want to, you know, and he complains about getting into similar discussions with his roommate. And at the end of the discussion, the, like, the roommate sends him links of evidence and, you know, facts and evidence t- to bolster the roommate's point. And he goes, I don't want to read that. Well, of course you don't want to fucking read that because it means you have to change your mind about things that you've held, you know, in your belief system so wholeheartedly for so long. Uh, and And so there's, you know... What, why would I bother? I bother at work because I'm on the clock, right? I, I, I will have that discussion uh, whilst getting paid for something else. You pay me and we can, we can argue about that nonsense. Uh, but I don't want to have it in real life. I don't want to go out, you know, amongst, uh, you know, a, a, when I'm out trying to have fun or whatever and, and get into a political discussion. I'm not going home for Thanksgiving, but I don't want to have that at Thanksgiving dinner anymore. I'm not changing those people's mind. I just don't go to dinner. Like, fuck them. You know, they're going to say something dumb, right? And I'm going to be the bad guy for lighting the light, shining the light of liberty uh, in the account because they don't want to hear it, right? Um, the, 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 uh, the platitude is people don't want to hear your opinion. They want to hear their opinion coming out of your mouth, right? And I, I am just not that guy. As contrarian as I can be when it makes sense, um, as agreeable when it also makes sense, but I'm not, I am not the guy to like cave in. So it's like, all right, 
since you brought it up, you know, now, now we got to talk about it. And so, you know, but getting together, lighten the, lighten the, lighten the, the being a light of Liberty. Um, how's that working out? Right. Oh, you got 25 people showing up, uh, 80, 70, 80 people and a members list that exceeds 240. Right. Good. Where's, what's the change? Right. You're however many meetings in, uh, there's, there's been, you know, there's been Austrian economics meetup groups, anarchist meetup groups, agris, libertarian meetup groups, right? Where's, where's the, where's the sea change, right? This whole article is based on the fact that it's moving away from our direction, right? If, if our, you know, it's, and it's weird to think about this, right? But if our ideas are losing out in the marketplace of ideas, well, then we need to change tactics to win out in that marketplace, right? If, if we believe in markets and this is the, the prevailing, uh, the number one seller, right, is, is wokeism and fascism and all that, right, then, then, then clearly we're doing something wrong uh, in that presentation. And I don't know if getting together with, you know, I'm going to call it a circle jerk, you know, if you, if you don't branch out, right, if you don't go out into the world and start, you know, preaching these ideas, you know, and getting in people's faces about it if they need it, right? I don't, I don't see the point. Um, but it, you know, the 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 corporate structure, right? If corporations want to go woke and then go broke, right? That's that theoretically by our own belief structure, right? Leaves leaves an leaves an opening in the marketplace to serve the needs of those who don't want that, right? And, you, and if you do that, right? If you take over that market spot and prove to be profitable then that should be evidence enough and it doesn't matter. Like you don't have to tell the corporation, I'm not shopping from you because you've elected to advertise with Bud Light or started a relationship with Bud Light. <coughs> no, you just, you start another organization, you don't partner with Bud Light and you see who wins. And, and, if, and if people flock towards the organization and the advertisers and whatever, well then you know that that's, that's where the money's at, man. Because if the money doesn't flock there, it'll flock to you instead. Um, but if it's not flocking to you, then this this is what the market's demanding. If the, if the market is demanding wokeism and the corporations are supplying it and being profitable in doing so, well, then, you know, is this a market failure? Right? I don't generally believe in market failures, but it's, it's, a, it's a failure of one competitor in the market, and that is those proposing the ideas of freedom and liberty. Right? If, if people don't want it, there's no demand for it, and we're constantly trying to supply it, well, we're going to come up short because there's no demand. How do, you, how do you create demand for it? Right? Now, why, why is that question not being asked? Right? How, do we, how do we create a demand of the general public for the ideas of freedom and liberty? Right? What needs to happen where they go, well, shit, you know, I, maybe this freedom thing is, is for me. This freedom and liberty thing is for me. And it doesn't, and it doesn't come from meetup groups and being optimistic. You know, it comes from getting out there and and, and engaging these people. Right? It just my my days of engaging one on one in public, or you know, a handful on a handful on internet forums is done. Like I'm a I'm a one way record at this point. You either listen to the podcast or you don't. You either call into the radio show or you don't. I'm not talking to anybody else you know, about these ideas 
unless I'm getting paid to do it. Um, and, I don't, and not to say I get paid for the podcast, but you know, this is, this is the one way street. I'm not having one-on-one conversations except like I said at work when I'm on the clock, uh, moving on. Uh, actually, before we move on to the next article here, um, I'm going to interject briefly. So I'm in New Hampshire and apparently there was a mass shooting in Maine. I mean, it's not apparent. It's been all over the news, um, with a gunman, you know, shot up a bowling alley and shot up a something. I forget what else he shot up, like dinner, a restaurant and a bowling alley or some shit like that. Highly trained firearms, uh, expert, right. Firearms instructor, uh, former, uh, military personnel heard voices in his head, threatened to shoot up a military base was known to the FBI, et cetera, et cetera. We've heard those before. Um, just read the news while I pause to, to take a minute here between articles. Uh, they found him dead. So yay for that. Um, but it, you know, it, it got me thinking again, like this is, this is another weird stance that people like to take, right? It's like, well, you know, the, 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 the woke people, the left, right. Want to ban all the guns, right? Cause the guns, the guns is what made this guy crazy and, and, going on a killing spree well it was a tool Um, i'm not trying to ban all the guns but that's that's their claim and the other side goes like well a good guy with a gun is good to have in the situation of a bad guy with a gun and i don't know what the rules or regulations or policies of these particular uh venues are the bowling alley or the restaurant or whatever um but maine has some pretty lax gun laws like i don't i um if they're not constitutional carry, they're pretty darn close for everyday, you know, for pistols and rifles, etc. And so this is not this is not a liberal city or a liberal state or you know leftist uh, California type thing with magazine restrictions and all that. And I, and so without being you know disrespectful or crass or rude, uh, while he was still on the loose. Um, where was the good guy with the gun, right? I saw a video clip of like, you know, a, a potential mass shooting in Texas uh, at a church and the guy like fired off a few rounds of his rifle and some, some good guy with a gun like put him down. And we always, you know, we, we often libertarians, gun advocates, Second Amendment folks, we often make the claim that, well, if there was just a good guy with a gun, this would have ended much sooner. Well, Maine's one of those states where you can be a good guy with a gun. And there was none to be found. Like, where the fuck were they? I'm not saying that I would have been the good guy with the gun or that, you know, I would have put myself in danger in that situation. Uh, but it's hard. It's hard to make the claim, right? You know, it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to justify the position uh, that these things can be avoided if there were good guys with guns around. Um, and then have one like this where you're in a place, you're in a state, uh, where you can have the good guy with a gun and there was not a good guy with a gun there, right? 18 people dead, uh, across however many, you know, across the two venues, um, and no good guy with a gun and then shelter in place, lockdown orders, you know, the police are on it, right? We're, we're the manhunt has begun, right? And again, I'm, uh, I'm thinking to myself, well, where are the good guys with the guns? Right. If this, if this guy's on the loose um, and we're the ones saying that we don't need the police, we can go hunt 
we can go stop these types of things on our own. Like allow allow the armed citizenry to join the manhunt. If you're all locked inside the house, no one's going to be observant. No one's going to see what's going on. No one's going to be investigating, except for the police, the least motivated to do so. Um, but apparently they found him dead uh, at his work, self-inflicted gunshot wound. And so people of Maine can sleep safe tonight knowing that that, you know, that one is gone. But earlier reports had him like, you know, well, he's already like got on a boat or a jet ski and made it down to Massachusetts. Or the Canadian border was on on watch to see you know if he comes up to Canada, um, but yeah, it just it was it's it's bizarre to me that the good guys with a gun weren't Johnny on the spot uh, in in a state where you can do that right without much impunity, uh, and that they weren't invited to join in the in the uh, bounty, right? Like this this is the perfect opportunity, like wanted dead or alive, this guy. Right, we, we got him on video. We positively ID'd him. We know who he is. And there's no shadow of a doubt that this guy's the guy who shot up this place. Right? And then let him go. Right? Show that an armed citizenry, show that an armed populace uh, can get it done. And if it was a self-inflicted gunshot you know, wound, uh, the police did nothing except find the body. Like the, the statewide manhunt, the multi-state manhunt, uh, went nowhere. Like he went to work and shot himself at work. Apparently, allegedly, I, I didn't, I don't have the full article. I, this is like as late breaking as it gets from live updates in Maine. Um, whenever you listen to this, you know, who knows what, what information will have come out by then. Um, but just, you know, it's, I'm not suggesting that they, we take the guns. Um, but I am suggesting that we stop using, the good guy with the gun argument uh, in favor of letting people keep their guns. All right, a good guy with a gun, it doesn't matter. Good guy with a gun may or may not stop it. It's on you to be your own personal good guy with the gun um, if you want to stop it on your own, right? And I'm, I'm on record of saying, it's like, I have no desire to get into a gunfight, right? If I, if I need to shoot my way out of a situation, fine, right? But, but if I can escape the situation safely, with my gun holstered, I'm not saving anybody else, you know, family, uh, except family, right? Like I, I get my, I get me and my people out safely and you are on your own, right? Your, your choice not to carry a firearm or be, you know, the tools of defense as uh, a personal choice that you made. And I'm not the hero. I'm not the rescuer. Like you made that choice. I'm out of here. Like that's, that's my general position. Uh, but if you put a bounty out there, right, and all of a sudden maybe it's worth it uh, to, to learn some tracking skills and career change into that sort of thing and not a bail bondsman like the other famous bounty hunter, uh, but truly a bounty hunter, right? Like shoot up the place, no one can find him, doesn't know where to go. Well, let's, let's lay down some money and see who's got the skills necessary to find him. It likely won't be me, uh, but I'd, I'd favor that more so than – Shelter in place. Everything's canceled. You can't go anywhere because who knows? And it kind of it, uh, vaguely reminded me of like the DC sniper from years ago. Remember that guy? They couldn't find him. It was days or weeks or however long. You're just picking people off. And, oh, you just happen to be like buying some Fritos at the gas station and pop shot. You know, 
that sort of fear, and they thought that this guy was going to be like that for a little bit. Like, who knows where he might strike next? So they played the fear card, and even if he kills himself, right, who knows if he, like, went off into the woods to do it, where it will take forever to find the body. So even in death, he can instill that level of fear amongst the populace. And I'm like, just just go about your day, man. Like, don't let – carry the tools of defense, uh, not out of fear, but out of diligence, right? I don't, I don't carry a firearm because I'm scared of the world. Uh, I carry a firearm because, like, that's my defense, man. You know, that's, that's – you know, go get trained. Go do something. Uh, don't be a scarecrow. Don't look bad and can't be bad. Uh, you know, go go get some training under you so you can actually be – uh, of service to yourself and to your family when it comes to this sort of defense, right? The, 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 the pure freedom, the pure liberty-oriented, the, the uh, complete liberty world is not going to be devoid of psychopaths um, and sociopaths and just downright crazy people. Like, they will exist. Uh, they just won't have the reins of power in the government. And you still ought to be able to defend yourself against against those people, and the commies coming from your prop for your property. Um, so yeah, there's a quick update. Let's stop talking about the good guys with a gun um, as as an excuse, right? The 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 ability to defend yourself is fundamental and absolute. I don't need a good guy with a gun. I need to be my own good guy for my family. You cannot have my guns. Uh, because I may need them for my defense at some point, not relying on some other good guy out there. All right, moving on. Headline, do shortages, shortages signal the fragility of free trade? The COVID-19 pandemic gave us, among other evils, this bizarre spectacle of bipartisan calls for protectionist measures. In 2020, as the world reacted to the COVID-19 pandemic, Shortages of key supplies quickly developed. Medical necessities such as personal protective equipment, PPE, inputs for various drugs, hand sanitizer, wipes, and even common household items like toilet paper disappeared from shelves and left consumers scrambling. The presence of these shortages became a bipartisan rallying cry for protectionism. Republican Senator J.D. Vance blamed a shortage of amoxicillin a common treatment for ear infections on free trade, and he used it to uh, he used it to issue calls for reshoring. Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen had endorsed protectionist policies in the name of economic and national security. Protectionism, they say, is necessary to shore up American supply chains and reduce fragility and vulnerability into the U.S. economy. Were the shortages and economic turmoil that arose during the pandemic due to free trade? Good analysis and wise policy depend on looking at events in their full context. Thus, to fully understand these shortages and what policy is necessary to prevent such a breakdown in the future, we need to understand the legal and economic world of the pandemic. Such as such an analysis shows that these protectionist justifications do not fly The argument that free trade makes an economy vulnerable appears to be correct on the surface. As economies become more interwoven, shock in one nation can spill over and affect other nations intertwined with them. 
Thus, to prevent such contagion, isolating or building domestic redundancies into supply chains may be needed to prevent disruptions. This argument rests on two critical mistakes, a fundamental misunderstanding of trade and erroneous assumptions of the incentives faced by economic actors. Understanding these two faults will allow us to see how their arguments that trade makes supply chains vulnerable is incorrect. Comparative, uh, yeah, comparative advantage is between individuals. Trade is built upon the concept of comparative advantage. Comparative advantage is an intuitive concept. One makes what is cheaper for him to make in terms of foregone resources and buys what is cheaper for him to buy. One will specialize in and sell, export, what one is relatively good at producing and buy, import, what one is relatively poor at producing. In the context of international trade, many textbooks will present comparative advantage in terms of countries. This presentation of comparative advantage has useful pedagogical applications, but is, strictly speaking, incorrect. Comparative advantage is always between individuals, not countries. A person or a firm may have a comparative advantage, but not a country. This implies that, within a political boundary, there will be many different comparative advantages and disadvantages. In turn, this leads to a phenomenon known as intra-industry trade, where a country both imports and exports goods in the same industry. Protectionists often take the model of countries having comparative advantage literally, rather than as a pedagogical tool. They discard individualism, which means they are already misunderstanding the role of trade. Consequently, they argue that, as model predicts, Nations specialize in certain goods and import the rest. This specialization makes supply chains vulnerable. A proper understanding of trade, as between individuals, however, means that individuals specialize in trade, not countries. Individuals may be vulnerable, but not entire countries if they embrace free trade. To that extent, the entire economies are vulnerable. It is because the government discourages free trade. It is conceivable that if there is a domestic monopoly that faces a supply shock from a foreign producer of a critical input, that th then that could cause a shockwave throughout the domestic economy. But market participants anticipate that problem. When the number of suppliers is increased to include both foreign and domestic, the systemic importance of any one supplier falls. If one foreign supplier suffers a shock, others exist to pick up the slack. Market participants know this and thus and know this and often have relationships with multiple suppliers of their needed inputs. Protectionism limits the ability of individuals to develop redundancies. This point brings us to the second mistake proponents of protectionism makes misunderstanding incentives. Incentives matter. Given a world of scarcity, we are constantly choosing among alternatives. <clears throat> Our choices depend on the perceived cost and benefit of different alternatives. Expectations about the future plays a large role in our evaluation of these alternatives. In early March 2020, many firms had no expectation of such a global disruption of international trade. Firms practice just-in-time manufacturing, which leaves little wiggle room to deal with significant shocks. But times have changed. Firms expect global disruptions and search out ways to make their supply chain more robust. If making supply chains wholly domestic is the best of all the reasonable alternatives, we would expect firms to take those actions without the need for protectionism. Conversely, the incentives faced by politicians, 
do not align with a robust supply chain. They neither earn the benefits of such robustness nor face penalties if their choices are incorrect. Rather, they, fen- they tend to face political incentives, re-election, appeasing different groups, flashy proposals, and so on. Even the most well-intentioned political decision-maker does not face the proper incentive structure to make the best decision. If protectionism makes supply chains more robust, then we should expect to see that in the data. A quick overview shows, however, that protected industries are more vulnerable to shock than less protected industries. Two examples were served to illustrate this point. First, U.S. shipping capacity. The U.S. shipbuilding industry is highly protected. The Jones Act, a century-old piece of legislation, requires all goods shipped between U.S. ports to be on ships built, flagged, and crewed by Americans. The logic of the act is simple. By ensuring a domestic fleet and supply of shipbuilding capacity, the U.S. will not get caught flat-footed if the need arises for large deployment of military equipment as it did in World War I. The Jones Act, though, has failed in this respect. The act is frequently waived during states of emergency in order to increase supplies to stricken areas. The Jones Act has failed to make U.S. shipping more robust. Second, baby formula. The USDA strictly regulates baby formula in the U.S. In fact, only six producers of baby formula are allowed to operate in the United States. And imports are strictly forbidden unless approved by the FDA. When Abbott Nutrition, one of these six producers, was forced to shut down in May 2022 over safety concerns, a massive shortage of baby formula hit the U.S. U.S. President Biden invoked the Defense Production Act to waive FDA requirements and flew in supply from overseas. Rather than making the U.S. baby formula robust, the protectionist actions made it so vulnerable that they had to be waived to deal with a single factory shuttering. These examples show that protectionism weakens supply chains and makes manufacturing more vulnerable to disruptions because alternatives cannot be procured. Free trade cannot be blamed for making supply chain and industries vulnerable to disruptions. Rather, it makes them more robust. Free trade cannot be blamed for the shortages resulted from COVID-19. Rather, the lockdowns and price controls caused the disruption. End of this article. Another interesting point that they, they mentioned it in the article, and this was brought up um, during a again during a discussion during the COVID nineteen shortages, and it was you know that that the just in time inventory system had failed, right? That they they were not able to get every anything there on time, and so like the the whole mechanism uh, should be shuttered in and of itself, right? In favor of warehousing. Right, like we we can't afford to have the inputs, you know, shipped uh, just in time when we need these things. Like we need to we need to pay to have the warehouse store them uh, just in case there's shortages in manufacturing. And I was like, that's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Right? You have a you have a perfectly good uh, I don't say perfectly good, but you have like the best uh, manufacturing mechanism we have, you know, to date. Right? The just in time. Uh, which reduces costs uh, generally, right? Because you don't, you're not paying for the warehousing, you're not paying for storage. You know, you, there's no, there's minor inefficiencies on the production line because everything is moving, and the parts get there just in time uh, to be used on the on the factory floor, right? Like that's that's the 
fundamentally and uh, short form breakdown of, of how that system works. Right. And you're like, well, that works 99.5% of the time or 99.9% of the time. Uh, this, this, uh, this manufacturing methodology functions as best as anything else. And this small percentage of time when the government shutters businesses, right? The just in time inventory management system like breaks down and we have to scrap it in favor of you like 99.9% of the time, 99.9% of the time you want to pay more for products because they, because of the additional cost of warehousing for the off chance that another pandemic hits and the government shuts everything down again, right? It's, it's the most ludicrous thing, uh, that, that I heard at the time. Like we, we need, we like store it your damn self then. Like if that's, if that's your concern, if like toilet paper is your concern. Uh, and I, I was running, uh, managing a storage facility at the time. Right. And I had a customer who was like, all that's in there, man, is toilet paper. Right. If that's your concern, uh, buy in bulk, buy ahead and warehouse it yourself. Uh, and the, you know, the, some people like sort of did that, right? Like, you know, they, they, they got to Costco's early. Uh, they bought all the hand sanitizer. They bought all the alcohol. They bought all the toilet paper. I think it was Tennessee. And then they were like selling it at a premium like price gouging people, you know, like, well, because they got there first, you know, well, boo on the government for blocking the price gouging. Cause if they saw a market opportunity and it had the ability to profit, like good on them. Um, but if you just want it for personal use, right, you warehouse it and it'll be cheaper. You know, it might be, it'll be more expensive for you, but at least the price doesn't go up for me because of your idiot demand, uh, that warehousing needs to be across the board. Like all the manufacturing firms need to warehouse things on their own. Like, no, you know, you, if that's, if you never run on, want to run out of toilet paper, right. Fill up a storage unit with just toilet paper pay an extra 150 bucks a month for it, right? Factor that into the cost of your rolls of toilet paper. And then whenever you take a case out of storage, like that's when you buy another case and you fill that storage place back up, you know, first in, was it first in, first out, as far as accounting is concerned, however you want to run that. Uh, but warehouse it yourself, right? Fortunately, um, for my mom, I guess, at the time, like she, you know, she, she had space in her house for toilet. So she always had, you know, an abundance of toilet paper in the home, even when I was living there, right? Like there was, there was always a stack somewhere. Uh, we're never running down to like the last roll. Uh, even now, like I, in my apartment, I'm like, I'm limited space in here. So I buy like the big old carton, right? And then when I, when I stack up, when I'm down to like the last layer of the case, and I'll, I'll put in another order because I know I'm fairly confident, you know, now that this COVID nonsense is behind us, I'm fairly confident that I'm not going to go through 24 rolls uh, before the next box comes in, right? Like I've, I've got some time on this uh, and the, you know, one box goes out, one box comes in. Uh, but in the, if, if there's a shortage again, right? Oh my goodness, are things going to have to get moved around in here? as I stack up three or four boxes to make sure that I have a year supply of toilet paper, just in case the government shuts down manufacturing again. And again, I want to reiterate that it wasn't, it wasn't even a supply chain issue. 
uh, at the time. It was like government forced, uh, forced shutdowns of production. You know, if if one factory goes down, uh, the only thing that might be uh, you might have a case for uh, during that time was like the chip maker. You know, it was it was a double whammy. You know, like uh, all of the electronics couldn't get chips during COVID, partially because the government shut down the supply chain, and partially because a single supplier who just happened to be the global leader for chip manufacturing, uh, the factory burned down. So it was like, it was a, it was a double whammy. Um, and most people don't even realize that, but as, as the article notes, the Jones act doesn't work. Uh, the baby formula thing, that's another good example, right? Like it was, Oh, we, we're not getting any baby. There's plenty of baby formula on the market, right? You, you just not allowed to buy it, uh, because of stupid protectionist regulations. Right. The, the other thing that was uh, interesting when the, when COVID was around uh, was all of the brands you've never heard of, surprisingly, like on the store shelves. Right. Oh, we don't have the big brand. Like, try this little manufacturer because somehow they were still be able to make products wherever they were imported from or wherever they got it from. Uh, and I don't I don't shop frequently enough, so I don't even know if if those brands are like off the shelves. But for a while there. Right, it was like no-name brands that you've never heard of, who somehow were able to still produce product, and somehow the stores were able to find them and get product on the shelves. Uh, and then, you know, once everything got back to normal, I'm sure they were superseded and outvoted, and uh, you know, off off the shelves they go because as a smaller manufacturer, if they weren't profitable or weren't profiting enough during COVID, probably couldn't have you know probably couldn't compete with the big manufacturers and their economies of scale to keep down the prices enough to stay on the store shelves. But that was another interesting thing. It was like, well, they, yes, there are, pe- there are people still in production somehow, somewhere. And they were just, you know, they were, they were finally getting their, their day in the sun, their time to shine uh, as the, the feature product in that category on the store shelves. But yeah, you know, free markets, free con- This again, this is, you know, the, the fragility of free trade, um, there's, there's nothing fragile about it. Uh, it's, it's the, it's the best we've got so far in terms of supply meeting demand and the, you know, demands of the people, uh, you know, being met by those suppliers, um, people getting what they want at a reasonable price, right? You know, per- perfect competition breeds no profits, uh, or, you know, and so the consumers benefit all the way around, uh, as, as companies are, are forced to, you know, are as, as with free trade, companies are forced to compete amongst with more than just the domestic suppliers, right? They they have to compete with the foreigner who may have a comparative advantage, right? That company might do better, uh, and so, and so you got to find another way to compete. And one of the things, um, one of the few takeaways uh, I remember from college was. When it comes to you know competition and alternatives and you know who's who's the who's the competition in your market, right? And and the the point was there's only there's only going to be one low cost supplier, right? There's 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 only going to be one company that can offer the that particular product at the cheapest price, right? So if you're competing on price, you have to be the one, right? Uh, otherwise, you ought to find another way to compete, find a niche of some kind or a niche, uh, if you will, and market your product to the niche, right? Like the you know the 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 cheapest car on the market is not a Ferrari, 
Uh, yet Ferrari does fairly well for themselves. Same with Lamborghinis amongst the, the Bitcoin bros. Um, you know, you see the you know, people love the people love to say Bugatti, right? But if but that they they're competing on luxury, um, and I always felt that as the economy starts to turn south, uh, oddly enough, you know, I got no basis in fact or education to justify this position. So argue with me all you want. Um, but I'm like, man, it would be good to be in luxury markets, uh, because rich people still have money, right? Rich people still have the money to flaunt it. Um, if you're, you know, if, if you're in the low cost, if you're in the low cost market, number one, you gotta be, you gotta be the lowest. And as people get poor, right, that, that's going to take a toll. Um, but rich people always have money or at least the ultra witch do like, you know, Bezos is still buying a yacht, right? So if you're in your, you know, if you're a yacht builder, um, I don't, I, I don't think you're in trouble. Um, but be niche, be niche in those cases, uh, because you're, you know, you're competing on different things than just being the cheapest in the marketplace. Um, Oh, look at the time. That'll do it for me. You guys know where to find us. Anarchistexperience.com on telegram t.me slash anarchist experience or t.me slash the anarchist experience and if you would like to contribute to this show financially you can do so through patreon patreon.com slash the anarchist experience uh next week again more richie rich reads the news uh, until i hear back from mc that his honeymoon is over and he is ready to rejoin the show uh but thank you very much for listening and we'll talk to y'all next week peace